Sorry. <clears throat> I agree. Hello? Oh, hi, Marilyn. Ah, good morning, Dan. What's going on with you? How is everything up Way up there. Oh, man. It's a big it's city. Morning. Big city. It's a dry, cool, moist, warm morning in San Francisco. <laughs> the great model of blooming. It's everything. Everything you it's need. Everything. There's poop and not poop, and then there's more poop. <laughs> a lot of feedback on that last episode. Wow. Holy mackerel. Wow. Andy. Yeah, that was, wow. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, amazing. I-, I thought it was just going to be another, you know, boring old school episode. <laughs> but that's what they like. They like those episodes where you don't, you're not really prepared and mm. you don't read off your cards. Mm. You're hard on my cards. <laughs> I try not to it's prepare. True. Well, you know, I, yeah. What? I, sh- I shouldn't prepare. Well, I, you know, I-, I should learn to trust. I should learn to trust, trust in our relationship. That the show will be good because we are good. Because we're good. Yeah. Yeah. You think that's right? <laughs> no. You know what? I, I, uh, I, I'd like to get back to congratulating ourselves on finally having a good episode. Yeah, but, God, uh, that was a talk about a rut. How do we get out of that? <laughs> Climbing out of that thing took, just, what, a six months? <laughs> Who's keeping count, really? <laughs> Not me. I think everyone's special. Do it's you? Like, it's like we've got 153 special children, and each one has... <laughs> Each one has its own, let's say, gifts. Right. Right? Certain areas they do better. Certain areas yeah. they, they don't do so good. So what? So what? <laughs> so what? Oh, uh, I'll get back to our anniversary in a minute. But first, I would like to say that uh, I don't know what happened. I can't put my finger on it. I don't know. It might have been talking about that painting. It got me back into the Goodfellas. <laughs> so you're talking about the painting... Hold on, I got this. You want me to do the sound by here? Play it. All right. So we got. One dog goes one way, and the other dog goes the other way. Okay, so that's that's Tommy's. Let me tell you about my pain. One is going east, and the other one is going west. So what? Okay. (laughs) This is from Goodfellas. Yes. This is the best scene. I would argue the best scene in the movie. No, you did. You didn't argue that at all because I listened to your podcast, your three-hour podcast in retrospect. Twice. Mm -hmm. I listened to it twice this week. Six (laughs) hours of my week went to listening to two men talk about a movie that was shorter than the podcast. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, but I went back and I, yeah, now I watched the movie twice too, because apparently I have nothing to do. Um, no, honestly, I have nothing to do. But I, but uh, yeah, boy, it's, it's, it really is, it's perfect. It's a perfect movie. And I, I think I get what, in the, uh, we'll put this in show notes, but John was talking about, you know, how he makes a distinction that I think is very important, which is the difference between like your favorite movie. And the best movie. Right. Like, there are movies that I, I like a lot, but I would never call my favorite movie, even though I think they might be better movies. But, I, okay, I mean? so let me, let me respond to that. I, first of all, I agree, and I make the same distinction, but to play devil's advocate to you. Yeah. How is it possible that the, the best movie isn't your favorite movie if most of us would define a movie being the best because we enjoy watching it so much? Well, I think you can admire the craftspersonship of something (laughs) and and see that something is, you know, really uh, well-made. And especially when you know stuff about stuff, you could look at something and go, well, that's, you know, of the, how, let's say, of the, like, of the 200 post-impressionist paintings that I've seen, 
you know, there's a reason that this one is really famous because it was very influential and it is massively creative, unlike anything we've ever seen before. That doesn't make it your favorite painting. You may not want to hang a Picasso over your couch because they're pretty funky looking. Those might be great paintings. I mean, and I'm nothing against Picasso. I'm a fan. But, but, but John, I think John's distinction is, is really, I don't know, this is probably not the point that he would make, mm-hmm. but I would say, for example, I think Godfather, Godfather 2 is unusual because it is both, I think, one of the best movies ever made and easily one of my favorite movies ever made. But then there are other things where, like, I don't, is The Big Lebowski like one of the 10 best movies ever made? No yeah, way. Okay. No way. <laughs> I mean, you know, by, by most empirical, it's not even the, <laughs> to paraphrase John Lennon, it's, it's not even the best Coen Brothers movie. <laughs> you ever heard that joke? Yeah. Tell it. It's, it's so mean. Tell it. Somebody said to John and Paul at a, con- I think it was at a press conference, an interview said, uh, is, is, is Ringo the best drummer in rock and roll? <laughs> and John, without missing a beat, John goes, Ringo's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. Because <laughs> <laughs> as everybody knows, Paul played all of the instruments better than everyone. Yeah. Um, all those good guitar solos on the late things, those are all Paul. Um, but, um, but so for example, like, I, you know, I don't know. See, but I think you could also I'm, – I'm, now I'm contravening my own point because I think you could make a case for Goodfellas. So, okay, here you go. Like a lot of people think Raging Bull is probably Scorsese's best movie. I think it's a really, really great movie. It, it might be on one of those lists. I, I don't like it that much. I, I like it. I like it. I mean it's good. It, it, I mean I don't want to sound like I'm trying to be that guy or something. It's a, it's a really fantastic movie, but it doesn't – it doesn't, and I look at it and I go, oh my God, just, I remember doing screenshots of that movie, however you do something like that, to try and find whatever Bell Gothic or whatever that, the typeface that he uses for the cards is. It's so perfect. Also, can I mention one thing that drove me a little nuts about Goodfellas? Go ahead, Colin. Did you notice the typeface changes? Really? Yeah, it's really no. disconcerting. Well, okay, the opening credits are gorgeous, beautifully kerned Helvetica or a, a near variant. It's this beautiful, you know, humanist, beautifully kerned type for those little – the cars going by and this title slide in. And in the, in the initial cards, you know, for whatever, 1970 or whatever, that's all – they're all beautiful white. And then it gets into some kind of flimsy shareware font-looking thing later on, <laughs> on two lines. <laughs> go back and look. Like when you go back and you go to whatever, May 11th, 1980, 6.55 a.m. or whatever it is, that um, – it's 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 not nearly as cool looking. Isn't, doesn't it seem like kind of a weird thing to not use the same typeface for your cards? Is, you think it's on purpose? That's a fascinating question. I would need to go. Was there did something else change like about the context of the scenes or the movie? Do you think it was a subtle thing, or do you think that it was carelessness, or what? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that, but I think it probably was. I hmm, I don't know. See, here's this is I, I I'm not a, I'm not I'm not one of those font people. I'm not like one of those typeface people. <laughs> Who like can't take a dump without reading the toilet paper and complaining. Like I, 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 but I do notice when it's done very well and not done very well. Like I like, for example, like Pixar, is it probably maybe Gil Sands? Whatever it is, Pixar for a long time would always use the same typeface like for their credits at the end. And mm-hmm. I always thought that looked really cool in the same way that like no, Woody Allen, um, Woody Allen, the old uses, Woody Allen movies was using he, ta- times. Time no, time. it wasn't times. Uh, but it's real. It it's real sharp. Um, oh, I should know this. I know See, we should all now know. We're gonna, now we're going to Windsor. The the it's Windsor. People. Windsor. But no, very distinctive. But uh, like for example, 
Iron Giant is one of the greatest movies ever made that is almost ruined by how ugly the typeface is in it for their cards and their stuff. It's in the, the, the credits. It's like, ugh, you know, this is troubling. It's troubling to me. But, um, yeah, um, but the, like the cinematography in, in Raging Bull is so great. And it really, it's the way it's all done together, the pacing. But the pacing in Goodfellas, for the love of God, the pacing is, it's like a two and a half hour movie and it just goes by. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And it's actually kind of like, what, like three or four different movies inside of it. It's amazing. Anyway, I just want to compliment you. We'll put that in show notes. Dan, Dan, can I ask you a question? Uh, sure. What you Dan, got in mind? In as much, insofar as you're in as much, able to, insofar as say... <laughs> People wanted to find show notes for episode 154 of your Back to Work program. Where would they go to find that? Uh, they would go to 5by5.tv slash uh, B as in brothers, 2 as in the number, W as in Wiccan slash 154. <laughs> uh, uh, I was at a wedding once. A Wiccan wedding? No. Now I was at a uh, I was at a wedding and and, and uh, we were driving around. It's in Miami, and my friend goes, um, "I uh, <laughs> I need to stop by Publix." I'm like, "Yeah, sure, no problem. We'll stop by Publix. We'll get some wine. You know, get some." What, what, what do you need? He's like, um, "I need to get some salt." I was like, "Hmm, okay, <laughs> I'll bite." Uh, hey Eric, wh- why you why you getting salt? He goes, um. I ran into a little trouble with some Wiccans in Orlando, and now I have a curse on me. And he had to take it before the wedding. I don't know if it was the wedding in particular, but he needed to take a bath in some kind of salt in order to get rid of the Wiccans curse. That's odd. I thought so. Hmm. I mean, that's really what, what, what would did the you, salt Did you ever do? run into Wiccans in Orlando? No. In, in the time you spent in Orlando? Not that I was aware of. Huh. Are there a hmm. lot there? If I had a curse on me, it, it would explain a lot. Again, how do you know? Okay, week. how do you know? I think you know when you do have a curse on you if it's if you've been there and they're cursing you or something. But how do you know if if it hasn't been made clear? Like a curse doesn't it doesn't have to be made in front of you. They don't have to you know throw the chicken foot on your doorstep or something. Like they can make the curse like privately, and then you don't know. See, I, I think if you were a – I get the feeling that if you're the kind of a person who puts curses on people, it's kind of like a diss where you would want them to be there when you, when you give them the evil eyeball and do some kind of uh, you know, you know, fruity hand, Dr. Strange hand move yeah. and, and, and put, put a curse upon them. I don't think that's a nice thing to do. But I think if you're going to do that, you want to do it in front of the person so now they know they're cursed, A, and that B, you're the Wiccan. What did it? That's that's my thought on curses. Yeah, I think I think part of a good curse is that the person who's doing the cursing, you kind of want the recipient to be in the room or to be there and to hear it. Other, I think otherwise it's not as effective or maybe not effective at all. I think they, you want them there. That's why they're always worried. Like, well, if the person obviously can't be there, you need like a lock of their hair, oh. or you need something like that to. You become like a supernatural process server. It's like you got to slap him. <laughs> yeah, you need some because, like, when in the the Stephen King one, the lady walks up to him and says, you know, touches his face, says thinner, right? Oh, right, right. You right, know, right. so like you have to, you've got to be there. You've got to be able to do something about it. You can't just that's what you need. So you need something that belonged to the person, mm. or you need you need their hair. You need you know something. Okay, so if you go to the trouble of stealing somebody somebody's underwear, you really should deliver the curse to their face. 
Well, I think if you have the underwear, then you don't need to do it to their face. That's only if – I think it's it's an either-or situation. You need something that's theirs because if you remember in uh, – what what was that movie? The Devil's Advocate when mm. the uh, the guy is doing the, the thing to make the other lawyer – not talk so much in the he wanted to silence him or something he had like a tongue uh be a cow tongue and he put a nail through it and he's like all right we're set and That's then they were on the nose uh, well and then they were there in the uh in in the courtroom and the uh, other attorney starts coughing you can't stop coughing mm-hmm. couldn't talk mm. so that's a curse right yeah, I think it would, it would be a curse. It'd be some kind of a Wiccan liability. Uh, it's uh, it's a process. <laughs> Can I tell I, you about uh, something I like, Merlin? Welcome back to Curse Talk with Dan and Merlin. <laughs> hey, Dan. Um, yes. I would feel like I had a curse on me mm-hmm. if I did not ask you to tell me about something that you like. I will tell you about something that I like. And I ahead of time, I went and I, I searched on the site I'm about to tell you about. They do not have a course on <clears throat> on how to, to curse people. Mm. So just FYI, something that they're, yeah, I'm an idea guy. They're going to have to run with this, but mm-hmm. I'm talking about Linda, L-Y-N-D-A, Linda. Oh, they have over 2,000 high quality and engaging video courses. These, these courses are taught by industry experts. They're adding new courses every single day. This isn't just someone thought they should talk about, uh, you know, Final Cut Pro and they're just talking about, no. They'll go get uh, somebody like uh, like Sandy to talk about Final Cut Pro. You know what I'm saying? These are these are people who know what they're talking about. They have courses on everything from beginner to advanced. Their videos, they've got animations, they've got diagrams. It's so easy to find what you need. And here's the thing: they help anyone learn creative software and business skills. So if you're like, man, I really want to build a website. Go there, and they'll teach you how to do it. Oh, I really want to get into podcasting, but I don't know how to edit shows. Go there and find out. I mean, pretty much any topic that that you could do a video about will be there, and it will be covered, and it will be covered by an expert. And it's really, really great. And the way that uh, the way that this works, by the way, is you get unlimited access. You learn what you want, when you want, on your pace, at your terms, from their entire course library. They've got courses, like I said, for all levels. You can watch from your computer. You can watch from your fancy Merlin tablet. You can watch from your mobile device. Whatever you want. And it's high-quality video, state-of-the-art studios. These are not little homemade things on YouTube. These are the, this is the real deal. So you can start a free trial. You want to experiment with this? You're not sure if you like it? Sure. Free seven-day trial. You go to lynda.com slash back-to-work, all spelled out. Remember, that's lynda, L-Y-N-D-A, dot com slash back-to-work. Free trial for seven days. You can watch as much as you want. You can start a whole bunch of courses. Do whatever you want there. Seven days if you like it. Then you sign up for their uh, their their monthly uh, deal that they have, twenty five bucks a month, unlimited access to the entire thing. So go check them out. Thank you very much to Linda for sponsoring Five by Five and Back to Work with Merlin Man. Mm. Thank you, Linda. It's a great service. Mm-hmm. You name I, uh, something you want to learn. You go there and learn it. No cur- no cur- shows on uh, cursing though. No shows on cursing. Putting on curses. Mm. What about removing curses? See, I think that would be better. Because hmm. we don't want to perpetuate cursing, we want to perpetuate. We want that to end. We want to. We want to re- eliminate curses. Completely. Yeah, it's a kind of wicked self defense. You, uh, you you learn how to how to you know check your six. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Yeah. I used to. God, I, am I remembering this right? Didn't she used to put out books? Like I feel like I had. Like I feel like I had Linda dot Linda Linda books back before she was dot com. 
I, I feel like <laughs> like she was an author, an author. Didn't she do mostly like how how to do like graphics programs and stuff? Like, I'm, I feel like I, I remember buying stuff of hers like at a Walden Books. I, know, I mean, you're like, much older than me, so I'm not sure if I remember that far back. Walden Books, Golden Books, Golden Golden Goldenberg Chews, <laughs> Book Bag, <laughs> Dove Bar, Dove Bar. That was a good one. Milky Way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like sound of that at all. See, it seems like whenever we go to a topic mm-hmm. that we don't think will necessarily be that great, that's when we get all the feedback about how great the show was. Are you trying to curse me? You're cursing this show by going meta this early. I am giving you a precursor to the show. I'm slapping you with this chicken foot out of love. <laughs> Do you carry a mojo hand with you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that a euphemism? No. This is a it's real like thing. A mon- it's like a monkey's paw, but blues guitar. The story of the monkey's paw is a good one. That's a great story. I use it all the time. That's a, that's a, it's a terrific analogy for many, many things. For example. For example, I think of the monkey's paw, like I haven't read the actual, uh, was it Maupassant? I haven't read it in forever. But this, the story goes that you, uh, you get this monkey's paw and you can make wishes. And of course, as we know, with all supernatural wish-giving hands, uh, they, they bite you in the butt. Right. This is why you need a lawyer before you use a monkey's paw. Mm-hmm. You got to word it all correctly here on two. Um, and, but then I, I think of a monkey's paw also as something you got to get rid of. That's to me is that's a key part. That's, that's the key part of the monkey analogy is, is that it's something that in order to get rid of it, you got to get somebody else to want the monkey's paw. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Kinda yeah. Like a white you, elephant. You don't. Yeah. The, the whole goal is you don't want the paw. No, you don't want to have. You realize to have you that. finally realize it. You know, you enter as a, as a pig and come out as a sausage. You think <laughs> you're going to get a lot of stuff out of the monkey's paw. You think it's yeah. going to be like some kind of uh, existential lottery hand, and it's not. And yeah, I need better metaphors for my analogies. Um, the uh, the, uh, I, uh, the monkey's paw story, by the way, is by Dub Dub Jacobs. Dub Dub, you sure it's not Mappasant? Guy de Mappasant? Mm-hmm. No, I'm well, trusting what you're being. Am I thinking of the so. pearl necklace? What am I thinking of? Oh, the pearl necklace. See, that's the same story, really, just wrapped up in a prettier package. It's made out of paste. Uh, Mappasant. Dub Dub What am I thinking of? Dub Dub. Dub Dub. Hmm. Oh, man, look at that. He dressed like a girl when he was seven. That's kind of cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, you're looking up Dub Dub Jacobs? I love Wikipedia. The necklace. He did the necklace. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that right? So stories about expensive jewelry. Oh, the necklace is a good story. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great one. That's got, got a kind of an O. Henry thing to it, right? They find out they find out that it was actually it was paste, right? And that they were worrying about nothing. Mm-hmm. That's a topic. That's a topic right there. Because well, what happens? It didn't didn't like the, I haven't read this since college, but uh, but she stole the necklace. She felt bad about it her whole life. And, uh, but she didn't realize all along that it wasn't actually valuable. No, no. Okay. Similar. Yes. Yeah. I'll say, I'll start by saying mostly correct. The difference is she, okay. I think the lady's a housekeeper or something like that works for a rich lady and without, okay. So she borrows, I think with permission, I can't remember this detail. It's probably not important. Borrows this pearl necklace that the rich lady has not euphemism and take and wears that out and then somehow loses it. And then rather than be honest with the the rich lady who's her employer uh, and say, I feel terrible. I lost the pearl necklace. Let me make it up to you. Uh, She and her husband uh, go to these great lengths to buy a new pearl necklace 
and put it back in place and then spend their lives paying it off. I believe the woman was known for her beautiful hair and she cuts her hair and the husband has to work in a, you know, at Burger King an extra night a week or something. And they pay this off. Mm-hmm. And then so many years later, they, the rich lady's having some kind of yard sale and she sees the pearl necklace in a little box, uh, like, you know, dollar, dollar box. And she's like, what, how are you selling this? What's going on? She's like, oh, that, that's a piece of fake jewelry. That's costume jewelry. It's not worth a thing. Mm. Mm. Ransom of Red Chief. Oh. Man. <clears throat> Gets you in the end. Dub mm-hmm. <sighs> Dub Jacobs. That's fun to say. You know, W is the only letter that has more than one syllable. That's not true. Turns out. Give me another one. Q. Give me another one. Q. 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 Yeah. Q. It depends on how you say it. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Unless you say it wrong. What about Zed? That's got a couple syllables going. Zed's dead. <laughs> the other day on Amplify, Jim's like Zed, and I was like, come on, dude. What come on. Get, come on. You know, I, you know they, they must be having meetings just, just trifling with us. <laughs> not. Came up not. <laughs> Zed. Zed. Wait, now Zed is Z or zero? Inbox Zed? Zed is... <laughs> Zed is Z. Zed is Z. Zed, Zed top. <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> See, I like it. I like it when Mike Hurley says H. 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 I, I like it when people say uh, meant to instead of supposed to. But Zed is, that's funny. What it's is that? Yeah. You know. See, what's funny, like when Hurley says H, he's, he knows better. He's doing it just to have fun with us. But when yeah. they say Zed, they don't know any better. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. They, they, they teach it in the schools. Yeah. <sighs> What, how, how, do you like the way he says three? Hurley? Yeah, or 13. He sounds, he sounds kind of like... Uh, 13? He's got a kind of an Oliver, Oliver Twist quality. Yeah. 13? I do anything. It's <laughs> really funny. I like it's having funny. him on the network, though. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, what a joy. What a joy. He's taller than you think, but not a lot. Definitely taller. So, Dan... Um, Excuse me. This uh, this Saturday, this Saturday will be the third, the third, the third, the this, this Saturday will be the third anniversary of our first episode. Of, really? Uh, back to work. Three years. Three years. Can you believe that? I can't. Neither can I. I don't have anything to say about it. I just I was just thinking. Hey, that's weird. It's January. And uh, I remember it was January. So isn't that crazy? That is crazy, especially considering people thought we'd never do more than three. Well, I think you thought that. No, I, I never thought, thought I'd, that. Thought I'd stop at free. At free, here we are. Free. <laughs> Very glorious food. Well, <laughs> uh, like you like to say, Dan, we get a good one, and we follow it up with a little bit of a uh, little bit of unwinding. Leave here at once instead of uh, staggering out, staggering out here like a bunch of hobos. Yeah, <laughs> one Boy, by one. That's a good movie. Yeah. That's a such a good movie. Um, I had some stuff, but you know I don't like to prepare. But it's it was weird nice. because when I when I listen to you talk, sometimes you get in a you get in into a role, you get into a fugue state, and then at the end of yeah. it, you come out of it with cards. And that's why I'm always wondering if you've got the cards ahead of time and you're working toward it. Because sometimes it sounds like you're reading off the cards because you're so your point 
is so clear and well-defined and, and I don't know. It's just, it, it's mind boggling how it comes to such clarity. <laughs> it sounds so prepared in a way. I agree. <laughs> uh, but it was, um, I have to say, if, if people come along and, and, uh, and they're looking for places to start, I would point them to the last episode. I for thought that sure. was good. Yeah. I've been thinking about it a lot. I've been thinking about, uh, yeah. We talked about anxiety. Yeah, kind of. A lot, anxiety. yeah, mostly. Yeah, and just, uh, I don't know. I guess, I guess the thing I feel best about saying, because it was nice to hear, I thought that was merely in my head before that was that it doesn't take for me it doesn't take anything to actually anything real to be anxious about in order for me to just have that anxiety and have it grow until it doesn't really need anything anymore i think it's a very scary idea i went and listened listened back to it and uh it was scary to hear it just that, because anxiety is something and so many of the emails that we got were kind of reiterating what you're what you're talking about right now which is that the, you know so many people emailed and tweeted and said things like you know I've been dealing with anxiety for years and I didn't know other people had this problem or hearing you guys talk about it was helpful to me because I thought I was alone in it or you know my ther- the therapists and I've tried to go to have given have prescribed you know anti-anxiety medicine essentially and kind of patted me on the head and sent me on my way and that doesn't really fix things as far as as far as i know um what fixes it is is trying to understand it better and maybe the medication too but you have to have that uh component where you're you're thinking about it and then talking about it and you know knowing i think i think what i hope was helpful to people is knowing that like people like us have have kind of gotten better in a way that it's possible to get better that it doesn't have to like be your whole entire life forever Mm-hmm. Well, that's and, and it was really gratifying to hear from people like you described saying that this is something they've dealt with for a long time. But I was equally gratified for people who I think are more in my camp who kind of went, oh, I didn't really realize this was something that was going on. Right. Like I, ha- I have this. This happens. And I didn't know that this wasn't just the way like, everyone is. <clears throat> well, yeah. 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 <clears throat> um, sorry. <clears throat> I had a lot of cheese. Right before the show. Ugh. Oh, right. Yeah, remind me to talk about raclette. Um, not right now. Right. Um, but let's see. Like, if you had, hmm, like if you had something that, like, legitimately, <laughs> you're legitimately bronchial. If you had something that prevented you from walking, if you were not able to be bipedal, and like you just you couldn't walk, you would have to become aware of that and confront that. That's something most people are able to do that you're not and you go, okay, I'm different. I'm going to have to find a way to, to, to deal with this in a way that I find satisfactory because, you know, you're surrounded by people who are walking around all the time. Um, I just say that if you have anything really obvious, if you suddenly discover that there's thing, uh, this thing called sight that other people have and you don't, well, that's, then you realize, well, I, I realize I'm different. This, this could explain some things. Um, and, and, but in the case of something that is a compulsive thought or concern or just, I don't know, just the whole idea that you could walk around your most of your life thinking the same thing over and over and over and not even realize that there's any other way because you're not even really aware that you're thinking it. 
Like if you think about people, just the basic thing, I'm just having like kind of like what you might call poor self-esteem. Like people who think of themselves as being, you know, regardless of the mix of people, like I am definitely always going to be not as good as everybody else. And thanks world for reminding me that uh, I'm not as good as you. I think it's a pretty common thing for yeah. a lot of people. Um, you should hear about it a lot. Um, but I, that, that's, the, that's the thing that's so interesting to me is that there could be something that has – that once you're aware of it, it has such a, a place in your life. It really kind of is your life. And you're not even – you weren't even like aware that it was there. And I mean to me like anxiety is, is one of those – can be one of those kinds of things. I mean this isn't particularly insightful. But except in as much as like you or insofar as you uh, – you may you may be in your twenties, thirties, forties, fifties before it really dawns on you that there's something going on that is going on that you weren't aware is going on that the thing has been going on for a long time that it's not helping you and that in fact it is optional. It may not be easy to get rid of. The optional part's is, the key, right? I, I I think it is. So I'm you know there's a lot of controversy over everything. <laughs> You know, you'll always find somebody who's going to get mad and get their feelings hurt because you say anything. But I mean, unlike somebody who has, you know, the kind of polio that makes it so that you're not able to walk without assistance. Uh, unlike that, this is a, this can be a thinking condition. And I, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that it's I'm neither trying to say that it's not real, quote unquote, nor am I trying to say that, like, you're a loser because you have it and haven't been able to shake it. I can't shake it either, but I am aware of the fact that it's it's probably a good deal more potentially manageable than a whole lot of other stuff. It's not the same thing, I don't think, as being like organically depressed. Maybe it is. I mean, for example, like you hear people talk about what is a cortisol? Like you can get these high levels of, I guess, hormones? Yeah, stress. Yeah. And that then that ends up having a, these bad health effects for you. I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, if... On the one hand, you might be walking around like unaware that you have these sorts of self-defeating thoughts or that you have more, maybe more importantly, that it's, to my way of thinking, it, it's that you started to see the world differently. That's the part that's kind of critical. I mean, having a song in your head uh, may be annoying, especially once you realize it and you can't get the song out of your head. But having a song in your head is not going to make you start changing the way that you gather information about reality. And I think having this sort of a condition or disposition or way of thinking can do that. So, I mean, I, 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 I said this so many times, I feel like I should actually kind of call out this, this, this idea that's important to me. So like when I piss and moan about everybody getting all mad about some technology headline for 36 hours or like what we're supposed to be mad about in political news this week, um, that, I mean, on the one hand, great, more power to you, have fun with it. But, but the, 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 the thing for myself, when I catch it, I try to catch this thing in myself, which is like, okay, I have time and I have attention. It's not that I'm fancy and should only pay attention to important things or only spend my time on critical priorities. It's not that at all. That's not how I am. It's not how I live. But I do believe that what I choose to expose myself to over and over, whether I like it or not, if I spend the time on that, I am consequently focusing my attention on that. <clears throat> and in the same way that doing the same exercise over and over will, will work a certain muscle, right. what I choose to pay attention to is going to have a huge effect on how I spend my time 
the way that I spend my time is necessarily going to lead to the next thing that I pay attention to. So if you wanted to put this in real Sunday school terms, you could say spending your time on valuable things will help you learn to pay attention to interesting things that will help you find better ways to spend your time. I think this is a very important concept. The time and attention is not just a matter of like, oh, how should I deal with my email? It's a way of thinking about your life and your career and your work and your family and your happiness in life is that you have a choice by and large. I mean, unless you're in a Turkish prison, you have a measure of freedom about what you get to pay attention to every day. Think about how amazing that is. Think about what a gift it is that we have, most of us, let's not be embarrassed to say it. If you're sitting around bitching on the internet, you have the ability to choose what you pay attention to. You could pay attention to other stuff. So if I feel like whatever you... If you, if you surround yourself, think about being a teenager. And the thing I never wanted to believe that my mom would say that I learned was true was that who you choose to spend your time with will end up having a big effect on what you do, but also like your attitude, the kind of person that you become. Like if you hang out with a lot of people for whom not studying or going to school on a regular basis is, is not important, that's going to become a priority of yours too. Cause you start caring about how you spend your time with your friends. Um, in a way that that's going to, you know, could affect your tastes. It could affect like what kind of people you're attracted to, what kind of music you like, what kind of car you wish you had. I think we can all agree that when you're a teenager, like all those dumb teenagers, they're so malleable. Well, we see that in kids. We see that when our kid watches a movie with a whole bunch of like violence and sass mouth, they start karate chopping and cursing all the time. (laughs) Right. That's kind of undeniable. If my daughter watches too much Ninjago or whatever it's called, Ninjago, mm, yeah. how do you pronounce it? How do you say it? Uh, I think it is Ninjago, although I'm, I'm inclined to say Ninjago, it's Ninjago. Wookie. Um, <laughs> if, you, if, you, um, if, you if you watch, if you show anybody a martial arts movie, they are going to want to hit something. Um, and it, it doesn't, doesn't mean we're stupid. It just means that what we pay attention to has an effect on how we think about things. So um, this is really long-winded, but I talk around this topic so much that I think it's occasionally useful to say why I think this is important. Well, it's not because you have to go out and be a special flower who is a perfect paragon of productivity. Who cares? It's more a matter of just accepting that your time and attention are, in the last instance, yours to focus um, in the ways that you choose. If you choose to spend your time at a job where people treat you poorly, it, it's not going to buy you a lot of goodwill in the world to just blame your boss for that. You, whether or not, whatever your mortgage is, whatever your problems are, that's where you are. And it's not, not to criticize you, but no matter what situation you're in, unless you really are Patty Hearst in a closet, right. you still have the ability to decide what you pay attention to and how you spend your time. And after you say what you say, I'll come back with what why I think that's important. But go ahead. Uh, well, I, what I was going to say is that that you're it's it's not only uh, what you decide to pay attention to. It's even it's even goes a little further as to how you pay attention to it. And what you're talking about is something that in 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 and people like when I bring up the Buddhism thing. So I, I will. It's called Yonisa Manasakara, which is appropriate attention in uh, in in Theravada Buddhism at least. And this is kind of at at the core and and the the foundation of Buddhist practice in general, which is, um, you know, d- deciding what it is that you want to pay attention to. How do you frame the issues of your life or of your situation in in the right way? And this is 
the Buddha would say that this is the that nothing else is a more helpful quality for figuring out why it is that you're unhappy, you know, why and and how to escape the unhappiness, how to gain release from suffering, if you will. And, and this is the, this aspect of appropriate attention is, is at the core of Buddhism. And it's at the core of, I think a lot of uh, religions too, but you know, the, the be, being able to f- take a frank, honest, straightforward look at, at not just your life as a whole, but at the particular situation that you're in right at that moment and say, is, is is what I'm doing helpful? Is the thing that I'm doing right now leading me to feeling good or to feeling bad? Because it's almost always one or the other. And a lot of people have developed, I'll say almost everybody has, like we were talking about last week, these sort of unhelpful coping mechanisms that create this kind of feedback loop where you're like, oh, I, I'm, I'm doing this thing and I... Th- you you get to like that feeling, that feeling of anxiety or whatever, and breaking out of that. And you say, well, I don't like feeling anxious. I don't want to feel anxious but or angry or whatever. But in a way, this feedback loop makes you keep doing it. And it's mm-hmm. being able to the, – the only way that you can break out of that is by paying the right kind of attention. And and, and, and that's that's the challenge, right? But can't you also take a step back further from that? And you probably didn't mean it exactly this way, but – it's not so much to say like, is this thing making me happy or is this the right thing to do? It seems like yeah, if you take a step further back from that, and this maybe gets a little bit into the CBT stuff, but when you're, when you are paying attention to something and you're thinking about, is this the proper kind of attention? You could also ask yourself, am I really seeing what's here? Yeah. You know, yeah. you think about all the optical illusions you can look at, like, you know, do you see, do you see a swan or a woman in a hat? You know, do you see foreground or <laughs> yeah. background when yeah. you look at this? Do you see the black part or the white part? Like, what are you, how are you focusing on this? Which, you know, it sounds like brainy chicanery, but, but the thing is like, if, if I'm trying to think of good examples of this, uh, I have lots of little dumb examples of this that don't exactly get at it. But when, when I, when I talk about attention, uh, for example, uh, how can I say this in that sound? mean. Like, for example, I downloaded just for fun. I don't know why I did this, but I downloaded that Lumosity app. It's always being advertised on public radio. It's one of those, you know, old people things for supposedly improving your attention and your reflexes. And it's basically, it's, it's little fun games and you do things like, okay, you've heard, you've heard this advertised. It's yeah, one of those, keeps like, you sharp. You know, keep it right and nimble as you age. And, uh, but, and I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it is, it's a lot like biofeedback in some ways where I'm very aware of the fact that I want a high score at this. So I'm going to keep trying harder, you know? Um, okay. I remembered on this big bunch of blocks, I remembered these five blocks where they were and then it disappeared. I remembered these, where these six blocks were. I made it up to nine blocks. Suddenly I felt like a Viking. Cause like I look at this grid and remember where nine blocks were a second ago, which really surprised me. And then I get frustrated cause I miss one. I go back down to eight, but I'm trying really hard because all of my attention is focused on doing this one thing as well as I conceivably can and doing it faster each time. So like with any kind of puzzle or like with any kind of thing, you know, you can get really super focused on something if, if you, all of your attention is in it and you have something that makes you care about it going well. And the funny thing is, though, if I sit there and do all five of the games in this cycle, and it's, it'll be stuff like, again, remembering where these were a second ago, uh, we're going to show you a grid with some diagonal little lines and a, uh, a notional pinball is going to come out and you have to tell me where that would land after those little 
diagonal lines have disappeared? Where would that bounce and exit this maze? Or here's a flock of birds. And the birds are flying in like a, as a, you know, like there's a flock of nine birds and you just have to point in the direction that the middle bird is going. And it's kind of a lot harder than you would expect. But, you know, I basically, I'm not sure it's making me smarter or have better attention, but it's fun and it's a cool kind of just a fun little video game to occupy my time. But I noticed that when I stopped playing it, I'm a little keyed up. Oh, really? All I'm doing is playing some middle-aged guy brain game. And when I'm done with it, I'm still kind of looking for patterns and things that I can do quickly. So I don't, I'm not a video game player in, in general, but I know that in, in the instance of something like that or, or think about any kind of thing where it requires a lot of fast attention, I think that kind of stuff is around us pretty much all day long. So, for example, I mean, just get, to get back to this. So anyway, what I was going to say was, in the, in, to your point, I, I, what you're saying is really smart, and I agree with it, paying the right kind of attention and kind of being aware in the moment and in context what it is that you're paying attention to and how. <clears throat> the um, I guess I'm, I'm trying to eventually get back to something like anxiety because here, here's what I what, here's what I think with with the attention and time stuff, you shouldn't be surprised that you're sowing the the seeds that you sow with your attention are going to bloom or die based on how you spend your time mm-hmm. <laughs> consequent to that. So another way to put it is garbage in, garbage out. If you just Spend your day reading exhausting listicle headlines. For, I know this is true for me. If I read through a lot of very easy to consume information about stuff that I don't care that much about, but can then get some strangely strong feeling about, what a mean thing to say about Taylor Swift. Oh my gosh. You commented on this person's hair and butt and like, and certainly, if you have a strong opinion about that, that's great. Like, make that a day. Like, go make that a thing. That's fine. But for me, it's very easy for me to get into some kind of a, if you like, you could call it a rut. If you pay tons and tons of attention to little bits of stuff that make you feel like the spike of, of emotion, whether that's a little bit of, uh, you know, like a little um, dopamine thing when mm-hmm. you're happy, you see the kitten getting stroked or whatever. <sighs> One thing that's going to do is that's going to kind of I think I'm not a neurologist, but I think that's kind of kind of train you to keep seeking out choppy little bits of information that are that are discontiguous. Because again, you're you're teaching your mind to have this sort of a pattern. Oh, we can, we can tell you about something like there. There's this mind pattern process that you're doing, and by multitasking a lot, you're teaching your brain to think that way. It's really simple. It, you really are, you know, by multitasking and switching back and forth between applications or by constantly, and uh, I know neither of us are guilty of, of this. I'm certainly not uh, yeah. of, of, you know, pulling out your iPhone and, and looking at it anytime there's a, well, not doing anything yeah. else this next 20 seconds. Better look at that. You, your brain, you teach your brain and, and you, and if I told most of our listeners, and of course there's some of them are like, <laughs> not me, but if I told most of them, give me your iPhone for the next hour. That would cause an anxiety re- reaction in them. It would. Well, they, to they me, reach for the, their. I would reach for my left jeans pocket and freak because my. I, the first thing is I'd realize my iPhone was in my pocket and I'd freak out. Let let alone not being able to go look and get my little collect my little Scooby snack. Right. First thing is I'd freak out going, "Where's my iPhone?" Even though I said I'm going to take it, you know, it it it's. Well, it's just like turning the lights on after the power goes off. You know what I mean? <laughs> tell me about something you like. I would like to tell you about Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create your own website. 
That's it. It's as simple as that. That's all you need to know. 10% off at squarespace.com. Code FEAR, F-E-A-R. They're constantly updating their platform. They're always adding these amazing new templates. I'm working on a new little site right now, and they have a brand new version of their layout engine. That I, When you sign into your account, if you're already a, a user, uh, they show you a little video, uh, very quick, like, you know, little video showing you like the new stuff. It's easier than ever to change the content, update the content and, and just change the way that your site is organized. Uh, and, and, and changing the content of each and every single page has never been easier. Embedding graphics, dragging things around, resizing images, creating galleries. Like they just made it much, much, much easier to do this. It wasn't hard before, but now it's just instantaneous. And there's so many cool little, like I, I almost want to do a little tips and tricks. Squarespace tips and tricks thing. One of the things that uh, that that I find invaluable is that you can have on the left hand side when you're in there and, and you're editing content, you're creating new pages and doing things like that. On the left hand side in the little sidebar there, it allows you to create new pages. You can create different kinds of pages. So for example, you can create just a straight page. You can create a blog. You can have multiple blogs. You can have you know a, a store. You can do whatever the things are that are that you want to do. But what you can you can drag. So let's say you created uh, an about page and you or a contact page or a newsletter page. You can, it, it, it's going to be linked in your navigation bar if it's in the top section, but you can drag it to not linked. So you can have tons of pages that are just not directly linked that you can only get to. Why is this useful? Well, for example, the site that I'm working on right now, uh, I want to have a newsletter sign up form, but I don't need to have that linked unless I link to it from a specific page or article. Then you can, so you just drag newsletter down to the bottom. Boom. That's where people go for it. Does this, is this a, a huge feature that's going to change the way you work? No, but my point is that they've thought of everything. They've thought of every little thing that you want to do. Speaking of newsletters, they're integrated right in there with, with MailChimp. They even have a way that you can set up a newsletter. And every, pretty much every one of their pages that they make, whether it's a contact form, an order form, a newsletter sign-up form, they can dump your data right into a Google Docs spreadsheet. It's just the smartest thing. Again, like they've thought of everything. When you add your Twitter account under the connected accounts or your Facebook account, it shows up as a little link on the bottom and you can even customize whether that's a little bird, a little little bird in a circle, a little, you know, it, like everything's done. It's just so great. And again, you're going to get 10% off. So it's going to start as cheap as eight bucks a month. If you use the code fear F E A R and doing that will support uh, this show uh, by, uh, by letting them know that you heard about it right here. So thanks very much to our friends over at squarespace.com for supporting five by five and back to work with Merlin man. So you remember when, um, Tetris was popular. And this is, this is so well known now that it's a cliche. But when Tetris was popular, and Tetris is a game where little, you know, blocks fall and you have to have them fall into where there's a space for them. Mm -hmm. And people who played Tetris got really into Tetris. Yeah. And anybody who played, this has been true of lots of video games. Like I used to play arcade games and Atari uh, and stuff like that. Um, but you know, it got to where like, there were people who would dream about Tetris. Like about, about this? Some, no, about like like solving the the puzzle like chat in the room. room. Has anybody ever, ever anybody ever had this? You ever dream about? I used to dream about asteroids. I, I would I, I mean <laughs> like something that I had done over and over so many times with such patterns that like I could I, I just I started seeing it everywhere. I mean it's, like I say the Tetris one in particular has become like a joke um, or a cliche, but that's that's the kind of thing that I guess I'm I'm trying to get at. And again, this is nothing, there's nothing wrong with video games. There's nothing wrong with going out and deciding that you're going to get mad about the news if that's what you want to do. But here's, here's all I'm trying to get at 
this is kind of my stake in the ground to get back to why I think the attention and time thing is important. Um, it is not to be productive. It's not to be perfect. It's not to be anything. It's to be paying attention to the things that you've decided to pay attention to. How complicated is that? It's pretty complicated because it would be nice to think that if I had some high bar for all the things that I should be doing exactly right all the time, I could be this perfect person with giant white teeth and become a motivational speaker. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying be aware of what you're paying attention to mm-hmm. because this is important. What you pay, I believe, this is all my opinion, what you pay attention to a lot and how you then consequently spend your time as a result will start having an effect on you in ways that may be very difficult to – it may cause differences that are hard to notice at first. Um, because I think that one of the first things that happens after you start paying more attention to this thing rather than these other things is you'll start noticing different things more or less. Right, so you've got in the stack of this. I tend to think of this as like attention, cognition, thoughts or feelings, and then decision making. Mm. And I think that's a really important stack. The, the the to spoil the ending for you. If you're having trouble with the kinds of decisions that you're making, go further down in the stack and look at like what are the kinds of things that got you to where you are. Maybe it's extremely difficult to make better decisions that lead you to a better life because there's something else in the stack that's not quite right. If you're if you're not happy with the the verbs and the nouns in your life and you feel like that might be because of the decisions that you're making, well below the decisions, you'll probably find a layer that's kind of this this weird amorphous mix of feelings and thoughts. Because if you think about how you make decisions, I think most of us, boy, is this super obvious or super dumb? I don't know. But I think most of us make our decisions because we think things and we feel things. There may be some things that we feel that we think we think, (laughs) and there may be some things that we think that we're actually, and you get the idea. But you say today, I really, uh, wow, I really want to go get like a big greasy taco right now. I really feel like that's what I want. I think I will get a taco. <laughs> and that kind of that leads you to then become bipedal and go out and get a taco. Well, what led you to want the taco? Who knows? But it could be that like you didn't eat all morning because you were busy with all this other stuff. The point is that whatever that decision was, that decision came from somewhere. It came maybe you wanted comfort food. You didn't really put your finger on it in that particular way. Maybe you were thinking I'd like to take a walk and go take a little further and go to this place where the tacos are sold. All I'm saying is that below that level of decision making, there are thoughts and feelings. Now, if those thoughts and feelings are things like I am so, I am so fat and disgusting and I hate myself. I feel terrible about how I look and how I feel about myself. Is that going to have an effect on the decision that you make then? Well, ironically enough, you might go off and get a taco because that'll make you feel better, which then makes you feel worse. But how did you get to that point where you feel that certain way about yourself? We'll go a little bit deeper down in the stack and there'll be something in there at that level before you get to the, the, the thinking and the feeling there'll be, which is the cognition. Like, what do you see? What are you, what are you, what are you gathering? What stuff from the world are you putting in your little mental basket all day long? This is probably like 15 different episodes in one. I guess what I'm trying to get at is that however, you know, it's so easy for us to look at a situation and go, this is not where I'd like it to be. I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to hate my body. I don't want to think that people feel that I'm ugly. I don't want to feel like I'm the only person that has an opinion about this thing. 
I don't like feeling alone. I don't like feeling poor. I don't like feeling left out. Whatever those feelings are, and everybody's got those kinds of feelings like a whole bunch of the time, go down in the stack and see how you got there and see if there is a tweak to any of those things, like relatively small tweaks that could make you feel better about, about some of that stuff. I just feel better, but to see more clearly. Because then the problem becomes if you are somebody who's thinking and feeling in a way that is not making you happy, if you're thinking and feeling things that make you feel like crap about yourself, where is your attention going? Is it, is it possible that your attention is going to things that are giving you more evidence of the kinds of things that make you think and feel the way that you do? If you're somebody who's an angry, acerbic, increasingly antisocial person, like, is there stuff in that stack that you could look at that would make that better? Would your attention be better spent by going out and getting in the sunshine for a little while? Would your time be better spent by picking up the phone and talking to somebody you haven't talked to in a while? I mean, those are all like really, you know, um, obvious kind of cliched things. But the anxiety thing becomes important to me because I feel like if we aren't, if we aren't thinking about where our attention goes, it shouldn't be too surprising when we then look back over our shoulder and see this this pile of, of wreckage of all this gnarly stuff that we've been shoving our own face into all day long, day after day after day. Mm. And then we act surprised that we've got dirty faces. And it's like, I just, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not putting this well. but No, you, I think you are. Um, and I think, so I guess to try and summarize, if I can, I guess what I'm really trying, what I'm trying to say is that your time and attention matter. Not just because you're a special flower, but because you have a really, you have a truly unique human gift of being alive on earth for a few years. And it's really up to you to decide where that stuff goes. You're not going to be perfect at it. Nobody is. But remember that the time and attention is kind of where it starts. How you spend your time, where you focus your attention, and then having ownership over that kind of stuff is, is really, that's, I don't know how you get to a lower level than that. That's kind of where, where it goes. But if you are if you are subjecting yourself to something, whether it's a good thing, a bad thing, or whatever thing, if your attention is going to something over and over, it is my thesis that that will eventually, whether you like it or not, start to have an effect on how you see things, how you think and feel about things, and then how you decide what to do as a result of that. So when somebody asks me, you know, why, why are you such a karma suck about this thing or that thing, I, I can tell you, because for myself... Spending a lot of time and attention on that particular thing is not, I know it's not going to make me a happy person because let me go through the stack. First of all, I don't want to see that over and over. Like I don't, I don't want to see like a website about shaming people. That does not, that's that, boy, talk about a short fix. Uh, some website that's really just about like making fun of celebrities, that just makes me sad, the whole idea of that. And then everybody having the second order or bachelor's degree idea of how to make a joke about that is just depressing to me. But if, I, if, if that attention goes to a certain place, that's going to very naturally lead to what I then choose to see or notice. And that might mean dreaming about Tetris, or it might mean going and subscribing to some newsletter about somebody's hair. I don't know. But I just, it's, what, I, what I've learned after much consternation and suffering is that the really important part is that, is that really fuzzy thinking and feeling part in the middle. Because if you don't understand what kind of decisions you're making – it's probably because you're thinking and feeling things that you're not totally aware of. And that thinking and feeling came out of what you've chosen to start noticing a lot. And I have another, maybe you should tell me about something else you like, but I have something, I have something related to that, but your thoughts on this horrible morass of pseudo information. Well, I, you, you mentioned that you thought maybe you weren't making sense. So I think that you, that you are, and it's, it's, 
I don't want to oversimplify what you're saying, but it, it almost like when you talk about celebrity websites talking about who's fat or whatever, um, and, and then, you know, your, your own feelings about yourself and all of that, I think it's, it's very easy to fall into that trap of kind of feeling negative. I should tell you about something we like, but, uh, about, about negativity for some strange reason, negativity is easier for a lot of people to focus on than positivity. So much easier. I, I, I don't understand why that is. I'm not, you it's know, but so I, much easier to, it's easier to find. It it's is very easier, easy to find. It's easier to relate, uh, to tell people about, or, and it's easier, it's easier to understand and it's harder to disagree with. Like if you find something that, that you feel positively about, and let's, let's just stipulate here, guys, you know, being negative does not, is not, is not necessarily bad always. Being positive is not always great. But, you know, if, if you, you can always find somebody who's not going to like something and you can always pull a chair up next to them and have something to talk about. Mm -hmm. If you ever want, I, I've heard other people say this. I believe this is true. In America anyway, there's one topic that you can always bring up that you will be able to talk to almost anybody about regardless of their gender, race, financial status, anything. If you guys can both mostly speak the same language, everybody can bitch about customer service. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah. You talk talking about money. That's complicated. Uh, those those uh, fat cats in Congress. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, everybody, if you if you talk to anybody for three minutes, you can come up with and share and laugh at each other's amazing stories of terrible customer service. Because that's a negative thing that everybody has had that everybody finds frustrating. Everybody finds difficult to deal with. And you can instantly bond with people over that. I mean, it's like it's the modern Caddyshack. It's like when you meet people, this is something that you can instantly bond over. But um, I'm sorry, I cut you off. You're talking about negativity. No, I, you, that's exactly what, it's what, sticky, what was going. Dan, yeah, it's, it I is. think negativity is extremely sticky. Do you want to tell me about something you like? I will tell you about fresh books. Love are you it. still? Uh, are, are you still one of these folks that's using? Like, you know, I am. Where you? You know, I'm using fresh books. Well, you're using fresh books, but there are other people out there who they use Word or they use Excel to create their invoices. That's because you know, or pages or whatever. A talented falcon. <laughs> there's no reason to do this anymore. Do you, are you like Mike Hurley, who admitted that he keeps a shoebox of receipts to keep track of his expenses? How, how awful would that be if you were... They call it a lorry. A lorry of receipts. But instead of that, you can save time and you can get paid faster by using FreshBooks. This is how we do it here. We've done it like this for years. We did it like this bef way before they were a sponsor. They, they used to sponsor all the time. And, and now they're back. And I can tell you that they are the easiest way to send invoices, manage expenses, and track your time. And what I like is a, a feature. They don't call it this, but it's, it's called their snooping feature. <laughs> and here's I how use, this works. I use the snooping feature. I know. Everybody, everybody should use this. And basically, it's, it's as simple as this. You're working on a project, and it's time to invoice the client for it. Okay, great. You send the invoice. Did they get it? Did they look at it? Why not? Maybe they did and they're saying, oh, we never got it. Or maybe maybe you want to get paid in – you've got a net 15 on there. You want to get paid in 15 days and like, oh, well, yeah, we haven't uh, sent that over to account. No. FreshBooks has the snooping feature built in. What does that mean? That means when you submit that invoice and it sends it to your client, you can tell when they received it, when they opened it, how many times they've looked at it, who, if there's multiple contacts within the organization, how, which of them looked at it. 
it's the best thing in the whole world because now you know. You're like, well, I saw you looked at my invoice yesterday. Uh, let's talk about getting paid. You can do that. You can automatically have it compute late fees. You can send them a PDF version. They'll even – obviously – for the cost of postage, they'll even mail the invoice, a paper copy of the invoice to your, uh, to your client for you. It's just the best way to do it. It's amazing how easy it is to search and search within the, the context of each invoice and say, I want to know when we invoiced a, 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 you know, an advertiser in our case or just a client for this kind of work. They can show you all of that. It's really, really great. And here's the thing that they're doing just for, uh, for back-to-work listeners. Every day, this is true. Every day they're giving away a birthday cake to somebody who signs up for a new account from <laughs> this show. I love that they're doing this again. It's so much fun. So in the little how did you hear about us section, you just put back to work in there. And uh, and you know what? Make make any day. Make today your birthday. They will send you – now, they don't send them all from Canada, which is where they're based. They find like a local bakery in your town and it, it comes from there. So it's locally how, sourced. It's lo- farm the table. Inbox Z. Inbox Z. <laughs> so go to, they've got a special domain, getfreshbooks.com, and, uh, and, and try it out for free. And when it says, where'd you hear about them? Put back to work and you may get a cake. So happy birthday from FreshBooks. Thanks very much for their support of uh, 5 by 5 and Back to Work with, uh, with Merlin Mann. It's uh... Is this such a dense topic? And I know what you mean when you're like, I feel like this is five shows because it's all sort of t- – I almost feel like you're in – a, in a way, you're kind of doing uh, doing the don't worry, be happy thing in, in a sense of like f- not don't worry, be happy, but think about the happier things if you can. And yeah, it takes more work to do it, but the results will be better. And that you know what? Maybe it will be harder for you to focus on positive things or think about positive things, but – Thinking about those things forms a habit of thinking about those things. Yes, absolutely. I, and, I, and that's I, a good habit to have. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is. It's just – I think about like uh, these ratty old blue jeans that I'm wearing and the fact that if you see me coming from half a block away, Ugh. you're – no, I clean them. Oh. Well, I black. Look it up. Um, I uh, – <laughs> you will see in – my uh, on, on the front left side of, of my jeans, there is a very, very clear white rectangular <laughs> shaped. There's an iPhone shape in my pants. <laughs> right? Because, <laughs> yeah. because my, uh, my iPhone and my little Edmodix, which I wrap up in that life hacker way, they always go in my left pocket. I've got a pen and my house keys in my uh, right pocket. My back, po- back right pocket, I've got a notebook. My back left pocket, I've got my wallet. And that's, it's always that particular way. Um, the first day that I put my iPhone in my left pocket, it did not make an indelible white line. This morning, when I put my iPhone into my pocket, it did not make an indelible white line. Uh, I think it would be extremely difficult to pinpoint exactly what second over the last two years these pants developed an indelible white line in the shape of an iPhone. All I can tell you is this. Every time I wear them, my iPhone goes in that pocket. It didn't take any intentionality. It didn't take any forethought. It didn't take any, uh, any special uh, laundry detergent. All it took was me doing the same thing every time I wore them. And every time, so I don't know if that analogy resonates with you. It took no intentionality on my part to make that. But now it's there, and it's obvious, and it won't go away. This is where the iPhone goes, in this pocket. You can see, because there's this white outline. And I think that's, that's pretty much how life is. 
um, where, you know, you just do this same thing a certain way over and over. You, you know, it's, I guess you could call it inertia, maybe, or um, I don't know exactly the right word for it, but but it's pretty much almost always going to be easier to do something the same way each time, particularly if you find that it's the easy way, or particularly if you find that it's the habitual way. So there are certain kinds of things, and now like when you're dealing with kids, um, it's annoying, but it's important to me personally that my daughter learns to say please and thank you. Mm, very I've important, explained yeah. to her that that it's just it's it's a great way to get away with stuff. For one thing, if you say please and thank you, people will be nicer to you. But people are also extremely grateful in this day and age when you say please and thank you to people. And so how do I go about that? Well, I go about it in the clunkiest possible way through like every probably dumb way that I can think of comprising things like the worst case, which is, do you want to say thank you for that? To the lady who just, we walked into our little local bodega and the lady gave her a free Kit Kat. And I was like, wow, thanks. And I was like, I want to say thanks. Thank you. Um, or, or before we're going into a situation, I'll say, you know, remember after you go and get Halloween candy, be sure to say thank you. Or it could be in the sense of like, let somebody just sent you this great thing. Let's make a video and send it to them to say thank you. What I, my goal in this is my secondary goal is to get her to say thank you. My primary goal is to get her to be grateful, to realize that somebody did something nice for her. And that just when somebody does that, you say thank you. I, I struggle with this when it requires like a note. I'm not very good at it. But but if I go somewhere, I just went and got my breakfast and I said thank you to the guy. Mm-hmm. I said, could I please have the eggs and could, could I please have them? Thank you. Why, why is that an example? Well, if, if you're in the habit, if you're from the Midwest and are automatically apologizing for everything <laughs> right. as you do, uh, it, will, it will start to come if – you, if you start at a certain age, it becomes pretty easy to say – um, please and thank you because it becomes a kind of habit in the same way that like you wouldn't walk onto somebody's white carpeting without either wiping off your shoes or taking them off altogether. There's just certain stuff where you just learn to do it and that comes out of habit. I think that can go for your cognition as well. Like, what do you see? What do you notice? Like what, when you're filtering and you know, go back to that optical illusion and thinking about, you know, the famous one, we'll find it for show notes. There's a, there's a famous one that's like, do you either see like a, like a Gibson girl in a fancy hat or like a bird? You know that famous one? Or, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. No, 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 I take it back. It's, do you see a Gibson girl or like a witch? Right. Like depending see, on which way you look. And if you, it'll flip back and forth each, between the two. Yeah. Do you see two vases or do you see somebody kiss? Do you see a vase or do you see two people kissing? I see two people kissing. I don't know. Me too, buddy. Yeah. And, and, I guess, I guess, hmm, it's getting boring probably. I feel like, um, it's not boring. If you start out by realizing that that's a thing, that's a real thing that you are out there and you've gotten so good at just noticing stuff that you've probably quit noticing something more important, which is that you're chunking all the time. Look at that dumbass kid. Oh, look at that fat guy on a bus. Look at that thing. Look at that guy. It's, However, even just noticing things, what you choose to notice, it'll blow your mind. Uh, I, I heard this. I heard this this little heuristic a long time ago, and uh, it, it still amazes me. I, I don't know if this is true from like a physiological standpoint, but I, I've I've heard people say that like looking up in the air can like raise your mood. They say like look at the chimneys. Like when you're walking down a street, 
don't don't just stare at your iPhone. Don't just stare at the you know ground. Yeah. But look look up. Look toward the sky. And maybe I'm just really suggestible. But if I walk two or three blocks in the sun, mindfully looking upward, rather than just letting myself ruminate on 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 the thoughts of the day, I actually do feel a little bit of a mood lift. I, I carry myself a little bit taller, and I'm seeing something differently because I don't normally walk around like some doofus, like staring at chimneys. It does have a weird effect on me. What you choose to pay attention to will have a giant impact on how you feel about things. There's this phrase I put this in show notes. This is a, this is a really bananas idea, and it's too much to get super into today. But following on the heels of last week, thinking about anxiety and thinking about the way that we tend to constantly gather information that leads us to build our own case for how terrible we are as people. <laughs> have you ever heard this term pronoia? No, I have not. This is not very Buddhist, but I think it's interesting. I, well, I should first mention I, I was I've um, I was re- starting to reread Cat's Cradle by uh, Kurt Vonnegut mm-hmm. last night. And long story short, it's, it's a, I think it's a, it's a wonderful book. And uh, it's the source of this fake religion called Bokanonism. Um, <laughs> uh, Bokanonism, based on the concept of FOMA, which are defined as harmless untruths. A foundation of Bokanonism is that the religion, including its text, is informed entirely of lies. Because <laughs> I was thinking about, you know... How, like, when you're in that anxious state or you're in a kind of blue or depressive state, how it doesn't matter what's real or what's true. What matters is what you can find to to um, gird the opinions that you have about how terrible you are and how much the world hates you and is out to get you. <laughs> okay. And uh, and I guess when I was reading this and reading the Bokanonism stuff, it reminded me of a book I saw a long time ago. Now, this is pretty corny, but I think it's an interesting idea. If you're going to be deluded, why not try and be deluded in a slightly more positive way? And so pronoia is this notion that's basically the opposite of paranoia. Par- paranoia is the idea that without your ever knowing it, there are definitely people or groups of people in the world who are actively trying to undermine you. That's paranoia, right? Paranoia is that somebody's like screwing with you behind your back. Somebody's gaslighting you. People are doing things to make your life work worse, and they kind of don't want to. They don't want you to know it was them that did it. Isn't that kind of paranoia? Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, the, the the idea that somebody's out to get you, or there's machinations happening behind the scenes that are, you know, someone on a subway in New Jersey is saying your name right now. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, or that I mean, or in the worst case, that definitely the people are talking behind your back and are deliberately doing things to reduce your quality of life. But I also think a part, an important part of paranoia is that it isn't. It, again, it isn't like somebody coming up and slapping you with a monkey's paw and saying you've been served. You now have a curse. It's worse. It's it's the whole idea that there are people that you think you can trust that are like mm. out to get you, mm-hmm. and it may just be people like who are these people that are that are screwing with you and cowards trying to ruin my life and and you know. Well, Oh, it's, you know, it's the Zionists or whatever. Like there's these people, these cadres of people. Paranoia is just the idea of what would happen if you, for the sake of argument, inverted that and said that what if, what if, to use the title of this book, like what if life was actually um, conspiring to shower you with blessings? I think this is interesting. It's, it's, it's uninteresting as a way to look at life all the time because then you would legitimately be a crazy person. But when you're feeling really kind of down and blue and feeling like there's all this all – your attention is leading you to believe that the entire world is out to get you, it, just think about like what a small – what a relatively small change in cognition it would take for you to see that differently. And maybe, it's, maybe it's big to you. But the truth is what if you chose to see – the two people kissing instead of the vase, mm. essentially. What if you chose, and I'm not, I'm not saying to get your head up your 
thoughts and just become all positive and optimistic about everything. But if you can't live with the idea that the world doesn't actually care about whether you succeed, which they don't, what if, for the sake of argument, you assume for just a little while that the world wanted you to succeed? Like, how would you see things differently? How would you read something differently? Would you like, you know, when you saw that headline, if you can't get past the idea that it's not actually about you, which it's not, what if that headline was actually about kind of a good thing? I guess, I guess I don't want you to become an idiot. I don't want you to become a, 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 a silly, self-involved optimist. I want you to become somebody who's aware that choosing to use your attention differently and redirect your cognition in other ways can and will have very, very serious effects on how you think about the world and what you decide to do as a result. And it could actually, at least temporarily, increase your self-esteem a little bit. Because mm-hmm. if your self-esteem goes up, you know what else happens? Like if you stop, if you could at least get to like a baseline neutral idea, if you, if you accept the, the more the, the we don't have time to get into the existentialist fact that nobody actually cares about you, but if you could at least get to that neutral point, how liberating would it be to realize there's not actually people that are out to get you? You're not important enough to have those people yet. Maybe someday you'll be important enough to have to be paranoid. But what if you just got even like you just got high enough up to get to a neutral level of going like maybe there's something actually kind of good that I can find in this. And if you did just even for like a morning, try to find stuff that could be good in this rather than something that's bad in this. That doesn't make you a dumb optimist. It makes you somebody who's experimenting with their cognition in an interesting way because you might come out of that. You might go to lunch and then decide to be a karma suck again. More power to you. I happen to be a karma suck too. But at least you can start accepting the idea that how you choose to consume the world will have an effect on how you think about the world. And in the same way that woofing down a bunch of trans fats and salt do nothing but make you want more trans fats and salts, (laughs) woofing down a lot of that negative information is going to for sure make you just want to find more negative things. So if you have to have a delusion about the world, consider having a delusion that things could go better than you think and that there is still hope out there and it really is on you to decide where your attention goes this morning, this afternoon, this evening, and every day going forward. Because that's some, that's some powerful <laughs> marker. <laughs> it is power. I mean, but this is, what, what, this is probably the most motivational I've ever heard you be. Oof. Why are you going to say that to a guy? Not in a bad way. <laughs> Listen, I want to do something special with this last sponsor. Can we do something special with this one? Ooh, I got Dan Anoya. Come on. It's a good one. I want, I want to fix you up here. Yeah, yeah. Set me up. Well, up, our, our last sponsor of the day uh, is Warby Parker. I've told people many times that they'll come up to me and and and, and I'll still sort of follow me around. I'll be like, "Hey, how you doing?" I'm like, "Pretty good." And then, like, you look around, they're still there. Like a couple hours later, and then you get in your car, you drive home, and they're they're out in front of your house. Like, What's up, dude? Yeah, what are you doing here? And they're like, "I just I'm trying to work up the courage to ask where I got your where you got your glasses." So my glasses come from Warby Parker. I wear the Sibleys. That's the name of them. And, uh, and, and these folks have been making glasses for a number of years, but they decided that uh, they wanted to make really high quality, classically crafted eyewear at an affordable, what they call revolutionary. And I, I, I would say I agree with it. Price point, it's, it's they're like a hundred bucks. Uh, their prescription glasses, this is the frame, the lenses, everything. It, it starts at 95 bucks. And These are handsome, Dan. My the, goodness. Aren't do, they do, great? do you have revolver black, whiskey tortoise matte? Two, three, four. What do you wear? The whiskey tortoise 
matte is my preferred uh, Sibley frame. The black is fine too. And I may have a pair of the black ones as well. And th- these things are great. Uh, they, they are very, very well made. The prescription is going to be spot on. Now, if you're like me and you wear high index lenses, they will upgrade you to the high index lenses if you put in your prescription and, and it's, you know, it's required. You can also request them. I think it does cost a little bit more. It might be like $15 more for the high index. Most people don't need to worry about what I'm talking about because they don't have the kind of weird vision that I have. But, uh, basically these guys are making really fantastic lenses for men and for women. They've got sunglasses. They have a new titanium collection. It's a little bit more expensive, but these things are just beautiful. And every single pair of their glasses, it's custom fit. They do anti-reflective polycarbonate prescription lenses, no additional cost. You can get non-prescription sunglasses too because their frames are really cool. And the, the best part of it all isn't just the price. It's that they make buying glasses online easy and risk-free. How They have this really cool thing with the, their home try-on program. You can order five pairs of glasses. They're shipped directly to you for free, and you get them for five days. So you put them on. You take selfies of yourself. You walk around with them and show your friends, and you can figure out which pair you want because, of course, there's this problem of that. Well, I don't know if I'm going to like them if I just buy it online. Like I don't want to let – that's why they send this to you, and it's really, really cool. You keep them for five whole days, and it's all in this prepaid package that they that they send you. Uh, and, and it's, it's just, it's just great. And this is how I've bought all of the glasses that I've owned for, I don't know, since these guys first came out for years and years. Uh, so here's the special part back to work. Listeners can get free three day shipping on your order. You go to warbyparker.com slash Dan. Now don't, don't forget the home try on stuff. That's already free, but you go there, check out the glasses that you want. This is after you've done the try on and you're going to get three day free shipping on your order. And, uh, and you'll be supporting this show by going to warbyparker.com slash Dan, Dan. Dan, Dan, can I ask you a question? Go ahead, call. Is this a sponsor you like? This is a sponsor I like a whole lot. I don't know if you can tell, but are I you, want... Are you being straight up? Are you being straight I up? I want you to get... I'm going to make you an offer. Yes. You ready, you ready for the offer? I'm ready. Hit me. I literally went to the optometrist yesterday. <gasps> this is what I was saying. I, I had a feeling I wanted to do something like this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I went to the optometrist yesterday. Yes. I got... Uh, I'm getting... Um, Getting some old vintage frames uh, fitted with my correct prescription. But here's my offer to you. Okay. If you like the sponsor, if you don't like the sponsor, cut this out. If you like the sponsor a lot, <laughs> what you may do, if you choose, yeah. you and with help from the audience or just you, you go out, you pick the five frames yes. that I should try on. Yes. I will take photographs of them. If I like them, and I'm not saying I will, I will pick the one that I like. I'll take input, but listen, it's my eyes. You know what I'm saying? No, yeah. Show me Shabbos. All I'm saying is, if you like, I will do this. I will do this, and you may pick. You can pick jokey glasses. You you can pick. You can pick like uh, like Bootsy Collins glasses. <laughs> you pick them. I put them on. I photograph them. <laughs> I love. If it. you like this, if you don't like the sponsor, cut this no, out. No, let's but do I'm it. You, I want to do it. I said I wanted to do something special, and I was going to try and pitch you on doing this. And now I you're pitch you. You don't pitch past me. I clothes. pitch you. <laughs> the user, the usurous, what was it? The usurous vig, vigorous, 3%? What am I, schmuck on wheels? <laughs> Such a great, Maury's the best part part of uh, of that movie. Oh, I'm so Maury. Dan, Dan, where do people go? This is something we'll be working on, uh, and hopefully this will make them want to sponsor us again, because um, that's when we would talk about it. But tell Dan, please tell our audience where people would go to take advantage of this special offer. Well, to, to take advantage of the offer and to help me pick Merlin's 
glasses. You go to Warby Parker, W-A-R-B-Y, WarbyParker.com slash Dan. That'll show that you listen to the show and it will uh, get you the, the home, uh, the home try-ons already free. It'll get you the free, th- free three day shipping on your order. <laughs> oh, imagine if Mike Curley had to say that. Free, 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 free days. day. Our thanks to WarbyParker.com for supporting five by five and back to work with Dan Ben. So how are, how are they going to help me pick out the ones that they like do they just tweet here's what i want them to do not my circus not my monkey we're, we're gonna make use of uh uh hashtags are you gonna utilize utilize the leveraging of the the social engineers <laughs> you could get them on google plus <laughs> did you hear google bot nest i did Bark! <laughs> i i now have uh, e- even less interest in Nest, but uh, i call twitter uh, leno's discard pile wow but here's um, what I want them to do. Tweet me. I'm Dan Benjamin on Twitter. Tweet me with the, the name of the glasses that you like, like in this case it's Sibley's, but they've got other ones. And, and then put hashtag um, Merlin glasses. Mm. Ugh, that's kind of well, do you come up with it then. You're the idea guy. Big shot. That's good enough. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you don't like that? Merlin's glasses? Too long? <laughs> MG. Well, it's going to drive me crazy. It doesn't have the contraction. doesn't have the... Or the apostrophe the in it? Apostrophe. Just do it's glasses fun. and just... Okay. Ha- Go to show it. notes for this episode. Hashtag glasses. Hashtag glasses. That's it. Hashtag, hashtag glasses. That's good. Yeah. You don't, have to, you don't have to include Merlin in the tweet. He gets enough... Uh, and listen, if you don't like Warby Parker, you can cut all this out. I will. I'll, I'll remove this in post. <sighs> if they don't sponsor us again after this, I swear to God. Shame on them. Shame, Shame on, on them. them. What am I, schmuck on wheels? You want to button this up? <laughs> Let's button it up, Merlin. Okay, I love you. I love you too, Merlin, man. Yeah.